You're listening to a podcast of Family Church in West Monroe, Louisiana. Wherever or however you're listening, our hope is that this message would be challenging and inspiring for you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. Thanks for listening, and let's head to the message. Good morning, everyone. Once again, I want to welcome everyone to Family Church and today's annual prayer service. And this is obviously the first Sunday of 2020. And so we're five days deep into the new year, and I'm excited to be here, and I'm excited to get 2020 going. I know all of you are as well. I hope you had a great 2019. It's come and gone, and we're on for another year. It is it's an honor to be able to share uh, today's service, prayer service. And I'm only going to be sharing just a few minutes, an abbreviated message, roughly 15 to 20 message. But during the next few minutes, I do want to share with you just a few basic thoughts on the importance of prayer. And for clarity's sake, I'll be making three specific points, and those points along with the associated scriptures will show up on this screen above my head and to the side. Even though you do not see any blanks to fill in on your outline, you will see these three points and the accompanying scriptures on the screen. And so if you want to take notes, obviously feel free to do that. Now, I want you to think with me for just a moment. To me, in my life, it's been my experience that praying is a lot like breathing. Praying is a lot like breathing. Let me explain. Even though both are vital and necessary, one for physical life, the other for our spiritual life, it's really easy, it's really easy to, to give to not give either one of them a lot of thought until you really, really need them. Okay? You don't really think a lot about breathing until you can't breathe. And then you, <laughs> then you panic because it becomes very important. And many times we don't really consider the importance of prayer either until we're in a, we are in a difficult situation when the difficulties of life are bearing down on us and when we really don't see as we have any other options. And then the necessity and the importance of prayer come to light. And I know all of you in your walk with the Lord have experienced times like that. You didn't really give a whole lot of thought about praying. You may have been praying daily, but all of a sudden something happened and bam, the importance of prayer hits you like a ton of bricks. Now, we know theoretically, right here, we know theoretically in our minds that prayer is important at all times, daily, weekly, but like breathing, it's easy to lose sight of its significance in our lives and its significance to the kingdom of God. And so in the next few minutes, I want to seek to sort of reset the way we see prayer, let's try to seek to perhaps refocus the lens of our heart, the lens with which we view this all-important spiritual discipline of prayer. And so the first of these three points about prayer is simply this. We must see prayer as a privilege. And when I say we, I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about the blood-bought, the redeemed of God, the people of God. I'm not talking about just anyone. I'm talking about true believers, the church. We must see prayer as a privilege because prayer is a sacred honor. It is a sacred honor. Follow along on the screen with Hebrews, the 10th chapter, starting in verse 19. We'll read several verses of Scripture, but follow along these amazing verses. Verse 19, Hebrews 10 says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly, not timidly, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place. And if we could, if we had the time, we could go into the Old Testament and learn about the most holy place, and we would understand just how significant these New Testament scriptures are. We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus not because of your goodness, not because of my goodness, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain 
through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God. Look at that. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him, for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. We're innocent in Christ, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. That's the reading of God's Word. Can you say amen? amen? The context of these verses is obviously salvation as a whole. They're speaking to our spiritual position in Christ, and they're also speaking to the incredible privilege that we have in Christ to come boldly into the presence of a holy God and to stand in the presence of a holy God because we've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And although these verses speak to more than prayer, they're more comprehensive than that, they most certainly include prayer. Therefore, hear me, therefore, we should view prayer as a holy and sacred privilege. It's not a common thing. And we should not see it that way. Pastor Arville, you know why prayer is a privilege? Let me tell you. Prayer is a privilege because of who God is. Prayer is a privilege because of who God is. Prayer is a privilege because of who God is. And we, the church, we have legitimate access to the one true God and that's a privilege that not all have, even though they don't realize it. But we, the church, we do. And we have the divine privilege of not only coming into God's holy presence, Josh, but we also have the privilege to communicate with the God of the universe. Savannah, the one that said, let there be light, is the one that you and I get to commune with. And he talks with us, and we talk with him. That is a privilege beyond privileges. That is a privilege that I dare say most of us really don't fully comprehend. And here's something that I think we don't never need to lose sight of right here. This sort of humbles us and just sort of should, it should calibrate our heart and just cause humility to rise up in us. It is a privilege to come into the presence of God, to stand before Him and to worship Him, even if He never answered not one prayer. Because of who God is, He's just that awesome. He's just that glorious. He's just that great. That if all we did was come into His holy presence and worship Him for who He is, and if He never answered not one prayer, it would be okay because He's that awesome and great. It would still be a privilege because of who God is. And perhaps our lack of understanding of who God is is the reason why we don't always see prayer as the privilege it is. Now, thank God He does hear our prayers, and thank God He does answer prayer. But if He didn't, it's still a privilege because of who he is. And when that's your heart and you come before God with that heart, that pleases God. That pleases God. Because you're coming on the right grounds. You're coming with the right attitude. Because it is a privilege to be able to pray and communicate with the God of the universe. The second point is simply this. We must see prayer as a priority. It is a sacred responsibility that we, the church, have. Yes, it is a privilege, but prayer must be prioritized because it is a sacred responsibility that we have as God's people. And if it is not prioritized, it will go lacking. Therefore, that it takes discipline and effort on our part. Follow along. Ephesians 6.18 says this, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Philippians 4.6 says this. I'll give them time to... Is it up? 
Philippians 4, 6 says this, don't worry about anything. There's a good New Year's resolution. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says this, Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. Why? For this is God's will for us. This is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And if we simply obeyed these five verses of Scripture, life would be qualitatively better in the year 2020. You would come into the uh, next year at this time, you would come into 2021 with life having been way greater just having obeyed those five verses of Scripture. These Scriptures clearly give us a picture of how prayer is to look and be prioritized in our lives. Now, obviously, prayer should be a priority because as we just read, Scripture commands us to pray all the time, on every occasion. But think about this. Prayer should also be a priority because it's simply the way God has designed His kingdom to work. Let me explain. It is God's design to partner with us through prayer. Now think about it. God has chosen to partner with His people, the church, through prayer, God has designed the deal to work where He partners with us through prayer so that we can now participate with Him in His kingdom agenda. God made it that way. God designed it that way. He designed it to where He's partnering with us through prayer so that we can now participate with Him in His kingdom agenda and His kingdom plan. Do you get that? So Scripture doesn't just command us to pray, it does. But there's something deeper behind it, and that is God's desire and design to partner with us so that we can participate with Him in His kingdom agenda and plan. Think about it. No general and his army would ever go to war without a legitimate, proper, sound way to communicate with each other. Communication is the key to victory in so many areas of life. We all know that. And the older you get, the more you understand that. And certainly spiritual battles, the battles that technically matter for eternity, are no different. Communication is vital. It is key. Therefore, communicating with our commander-in-chief, Jesus, should be a priority at all times. The third point is this. We must see prayer as powerful. Now, you may think that's that everybody would see it that way, but I, I, don't, I don't think that's the case. We must see prayer as powerful because it is a sacred weapon or tool in the hands of the church, in the hands of God's people. Please follow along as I read from James 5, verse 16. It says this, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now listen to this last part. The earnest prayer of a righteous person. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. It is clear from God's Word that God's desire is for His power to work through prayer. Prayer, listen to this, prayer facilitates the kingdom of God being actualized and expressed in our lives. And I'm going to explain that a little more. Now think about it this way. An answer to prayer, y'all listen, an answer to prayer is really a visible expression or actualization of God's kingdom in our lives. Do you get that? An answer to prayer is really a visible expression or the actualization of God's kingdom, God's life, God's righteousness, God's character in our lives. That's what an answer to prayer is. When we pray for a marriage to be restored, 
you're in effect praying that God's life, his character, his righteousness, his rule, his reign, his kingdom would come alive in that situation. When you're praying for someone to be filled, uh, healed physically, you're praying for God's life, his kingdom to be actualized and visibly expressed in that person's body. If you pray for a financial need, the same thing. You're praying for the kingdom of God to be actualized in that situation where there's provision and health and whatever we may need. And so prayer is a powerful tool or weapon that God uses to visibly express or actualize His kingdom in this realm and in our lives. And that's what makes it powerful. And that is an incredible reality. Now, I'd scratch this out, but I want to say this. It's powerful, but there's some prerequisites. There's some prereqs. First is you've got to walk in faith. You've got to understand and know and believe that what you're asking is within the scope of God's will and word. Otherwise, you have no confidence before God. That's number one. Here's number two that I believe is more than teaching. It's more of a right now kind of word. You've got to be walking in forgiveness. Don't expect for any of this to work if you're not going to walk in forgiveness and love with people. There's clear, clear Scripture references. Matthew 6, Mark 11. Peter goes into it with husbands and wives that if you're not right in your heart with the people in your world, your prayers are hindered. They're not powerful. They're not powerful. So you got to walk in faith and you got to walk in forgiveness. Those are prereqs to seeing power prayer being powerful in our lives and real quickly in closing i'll read one last verse follow along it says acts 2 42 we read it a lot it says here all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles teaching to fellowship and to sharing in meals including the lord's supper and to prayer the early church was devoted to prayer, and they saw and experienced some incredible things as God answered those prayers. We can read the book of Acts, and we can see what those answers to those prayers were. And here's the thing. We know, we know that God is not a respecter of persons. So whatever they saw him do, we can see God do. Okay? Whatever they experienced as God answered their prayers, we can experience in the here and now. The simple fact is, whatever God did for them in answering their prayers, God will and can do for us because God is not a respecter of persons. But here's the deal. We've got to be devoted just like they were devoted. Now, they were devoted to more than just prayer. It's obvious from the Scripture. But they were devoted to prayer. And the Word of God clearly shows us what that looks like. So in order for us to experience the answer to prayer as they did, we've got to be devoted to prayer as they were. And this is the last slide. So let's devote ourselves to prayer as the early church did in 2020. And right now, we're going to transition into a time of testimony. And you're going to hear from three different people who are going to come up and share their testimonies with us. These are stories of God's healing, God's provision, and how as they have stepped out in obedience to Him, He has been faithful to do what He said He would do. And our prayer is, is that if you listen to these testimonies, that your faith would be strengthened to pray and to trust God for all that He wants to do in your life and in your family's life this year. So prepare your hearts for these three testimonies.
Now, the last time I spoke was at Pastor O'Neill's 37-year uh, service, and so now I'm having to transition to reading glasses and large print. So <laughs> bear with me just a moment while I set myself up. And my girls picked out these reading glasses for me. Harley said, oh, Mama, cute. <laughs> okay. Good morning. I'm Cynthia Holland, and I was invited to share my family's incredible testimony of God's faithfulness and his sense of humor in blessing our home during the past five years. Howard and I were married here at Family Church in June 1996. He was 36, and I was 27, and we wanted children eventually, but not too soon. So in January 2000, 20 years ago, we were completing our annual prayer request list. And by this time, I was just over 30 and Howard had just turned 40. And we knew that we still had time to add a few children to our household. So we added that request to our list for the first time. And we just believed that God would honor it. Well, as the years passed, additional lists were completed, and we still had not seen that particular request answered. But throughout these years, we continued to share in the joy of others as they added to their families. Plus, Howard and I were helping the Ogles raise Maddie, so we were pretty much experiencing some great parenting-like moments and then sending her home. I mean, she was on our cell phone plan for about, what, five years? Yeah, it took her from a Firefly to an iPhone 5. All right. Well, by 2010, I was approaching my early 40s, and Howard had turned 50. And I finally just told myself, I'm good. I'm good. That request for children was no longer added to our prayer list. I was perfectly content with our little family, just being Howard and me and our two furry babies. We went on great vacations. We were free to spend our time and our money however we wanted, and life was good. So fast forward four years to 2014. One Sunday after church, I was chatting with Brenda Worley right back there in the back, and Candace Howard approached us, and she was carrying a small infant that her family was fostering. And Brenda turned to me and said, Cynthia, have you ever considered becoming a certified foster parent? This might be a really good fit for you and Howard. This might be something you want to think about. And before I could respond, Cheryl Ogle walked up, to talk to us and I basically just casually said hey Brenda's encouraging me to possibly get certified to be a foster parent and Cheryl looked at me and said Cynthia it's not a puppy <laughs> and I remember looking at her with a slight sense of sarcasm saying I know that well Within a few months, Brenda and Candace helped to facilitate a training here with the Louisiana State Department, DCFS, and their foster parent training program and Louisiana Baptist Children's Home. So Howard and I attended the orientation and we were introduced to the director and we received information about the certification. And Howard and I prayed, you know, okay, are we going to go through these classes? Are we going to do this? Is this something you want to do? And he assured me, he goes, look, if this is something that you want to pursue, I'll support it. I, I, I'm good with just us, but if this is something that you want to do, I will support this. So in the fall of 2014, we joined other families, and we went through the certification, and we successfully completed our training. And by January 2015, we were preparing for our home study requirements. So as we were approaching our annual prayer service five years ago for 2015, we knew that we wanted to ask God to bless us in this journey because we didn't really know where we were headed. And we really did not know, you know the path that we would take in this. So as Howard and I completed the final components of our paperwork, we stood in our kitchen and we were holding our cat and our dog and we were standing there with our paperwork and we prayed over the entire process like, the, the workers, the supervisors, the biological families, the eventual children that would come to our home. If, it, if we thought it was something we need to pray for, we prayed for it right there. And we just felt, okay, we've done everything we can do. We're going to turn this in. So one of the things I needed, of course, were personal references just for overall child care experience, character. So I assembled an Avengers quality team to do this. And I had Renee Taylor. Cindy Acri, Andrea Steffens, and despite the puppy comment, Cheryl Ogle. And within a few weeks, our home study process began, and by mid-April, we were completely certified to be foster parents. On May the 1st, which is about a couple of weeks after we were certified, I received a phone call from an unknown number. Now, y'all all hate unknown numbers on your cell phone because you really don't know who it is. 
But my gut feeling was to answer this call. And to add more humor to this, technically, I wasn't even supposed to have my cell phone on my desk. But I, hello. Yeah, so, but my gut feeling was to answer the call. So on the line was a case investigator with the state, and it was around 3.30 on a Friday afternoon. Their office was closing in an hour, and it was the weekend. And she had an emergency. A young sibling group, a 19-month-old baby girl, and her 26-day-old sister that had been recently released from NICU was removed from a home and temporary placement was needed until they could be placed with family members. Well, not wanting to take on too much too soon, I offered to accept placement of the baby. I text Howard all the details I knew, all the information, and his response, K. <laughs> the letter... Okay, so around 7 o'clock that evening, you know, most people have nine months to prepare for a newborn baby. I had two hours. That evening, a newborn baby girl named Harley was placed in our home, and the caseworker had been so busy with her paperwork that she forgot to bring me my stuff that I needed, like, to show that this baby was in my possession, basically. All she had was a post-it note with her name and this social worker's telephone number. And I remember praying, oh, God, don't let anything happen to this baby this weekend because I have nothing to show that she's in my care. So her sister had been placed with another home, which was easy because this was only going to be a temporary arrangement. They were going to live uh, with a family member pending certification. And we were like, cool, this is great because we got a beach trip in two weeks. <laughs> well, we canceled that beach trip, yeah, because uh, those two weeks ended up, or two few days ended up being a few weeks, and a few weeks ended up being a few months, but we were loving life with baby Harley. Well, by the end of July, we were contacted regarding Harley's sister, who was now 21 months old. They needed a change in placement for Herb, and they wanted the girls to be together since, again, they were pending moving with family. So by this time, Howard and I were more prepared. We kind of had a groove with our parenting, and we wholeheartedly agreed, yes, we'll, we'll keep the girls together in our home. So on July 28th, 2015, around 7 o'clock, little Marley entered our world, and we were suddenly a family of four. Well, the next two and a half years were a whirlwind filled with court dates, supervised family visits, home visits, doctor appointments, conference calls. But even in the madness of all those requirements and the timeline taking longer than we expected, we enjoyed so many first moments as parents. We watched way more Disney Junior than we care to admit, and we know all the words and hand motions to Baby Shark. But the girls were thriving and they were loving life with us. And during this entire time, we just pray, God, your will be done. We were not going to be selfish. We just pray, God, your will be done on every New Year's prayer list. But as time moved forward, their family did come to the realization that the girls belong with us, that they weren't connected by blood, but they were connected to us. So in December of that year, the parents surrendered their rights and it freed Harley and Marley for adoption. So to celebrate, we went to Disney World. <laughs> I had to put those funny moments in with the emotional moments and it balances out. The next few months were spent finalizing the required documents because they said it could take a while to go through all the red tape to transfer that. So we were told that we would be notified of a final court date. So on the afternoon of March 14th, I received a call from the adoptions office, and she said, hey, I have a court date. Good. Let me check my calendar. Well, it's tomorrow at 1. Like, I'm free. <laughs> Went and told my boss, I got to take off tomorrow because I'm adopting two children. <laughs> she don't mind. That's their nana. So after being in Louisiana foster care for 1,049 days, they were officially Marley Grace and Harley Faith Holland. We didn't even change their name. We changed their last name, but not their middle names. Because how appropriate, Grace and Faith. And Harley even went to school the next day, and she said, God changed my name. God changed my name. And even as a little three-year-old girl, she knew that. Well, during this time, Howard and I had maintained some connections with their family members. 
And the girls love to spend time with their aunt, and she blesses us by providing things for them. And it's never awkward when they see their biological family, and they love to spend time with their siblings whenever possible because the girls will one day understand that they were part of an amazing story that God ordained even before they were born. And Marley and Harley are now six and four, and they attend Claiborne Christian School. And for those of you that are around them for any length of time, know that they're full of energy and they love people and they love big. Through our entire adventures in our parenting journey, Howard and I have connected with so many families that we probably would not have connected with if it weren't for having children around the same age. We may be significantly older than most of those parents and actually old enough to be their parents, (laughs) but we love doing life with them. And between CCS and Family Church, we have formed some incredible friendships. Now, (laughs) present day, even after our adoption, we kept our foster parent certification current. And we left that door open to fostering. And when the time was right, we would say yes. And Howard was like, okay, I'm good. (laughs) Well, back in October... We said yes to a six-day-old baby girl coming straight from St. Francis. And I text Howard, and I told him that the placement was coming, and what was his response? K. And within a few hours, baby Kinsey was placed in our home, and she would be with us for an indefinite amount of time. And Marley and Harley were immediately in love, and they have a real-life baby doll. Now, this baby is not connected to them biologically at all, and yet looks just like them. But Harley will tell you, she said, our family is fostering this baby until her parents are ready to take care of her. And again, God uses moments like these in his own special way to remind them of how they got into our family. And right now, we don't know what the future holds for baby Kinsey, but we know who holds it. And we look forward to seeing God's plan and placing her with us. If his plan is to use us as a vessel to reunite her with her family, then wow, wouldn't that be an amazing testimony? We probably would end up with a grandbaby. But again, we're just going to ask God, your will be done here. So remember when our story started, I was 27, Howard was 36. Well, I'm now 51, and today is Howard's 60th birthday. (laughs) Surprise! Happy birthday, baby. And we have a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and an almost three-year-old. That's that sense of humor that I started out with in the front of this message. I am certain, absolutely certain, that as 1996 newlyweds, this was not how we envisioned our family in the year 2020. It was not. But even on the most overwhelming days, when the girls are in the midst of meltdowns, sickness, or just the random craziness that comes with having children, and I'm walking around with a fly swat in my hand, I have to remind myself, Cynthia, this is what you prayed for. This is what you prayed for. And I just keep repeating it over and over. So I close with this. I want to encourage you today to ask big But at the same time, I also want to prepare you to wait for God's timing. It's not Burger King. There's not a line here where you you place your order and a line here where you pick it up. It's a process. And God hasn't forgotten about your request. Even when you decide of your own self to place it on a shelf and move on to something else. If it's the desire of your heart, God is faithful. And he's faithful in his timing. And he will bless you far more than you could ever imagine. So thank you this morning, and God bless you. Y'all have to excuse me, I've got my Barry White voice going today. So my prayer request for 2019, well, part of it was that our house would sell quickly for the price we needed, uh, that we would get a new house with lower principal, lower interest rate, that we would just basically improve our position. so to fully understand this request, I got to go back a year to 2018 
2018, uh, starting in January, Jason Hinton and I were actively talking about his next move, building his new house, what that would look like, um, how I would be helping him with that. And we got onto the discussion of mine and Jennifer's position, what did that look like for us, what we possibly could do with our house. I confided in him that I had really been praying about how to get Jennifer and I set up for the next stage of life. You know, we had a grandson on the way at the time, adult kids, just things were changing. And um, so he and I came to an agreement. If I help you, you're going to help me. And Jennifer and I started talking it around, and I'm not one to make decisions quickly, so we talked it around and talked it around and talked it around. And in the process, I felt like God was telling me, you know, Ryan, when it comes to finances, you've always just kind of made your decisions and solved the problems and saw what needed to be done, but are you willing to trust me on this? I'm going to grow your faith. And I kind of did a double take because I thought, you know, I feel like I got a pretty good amount of faith. Um, but I told Jennifer about it, and what God was telling us was, or what I told her he was telling us was, you know, you need to borrow about $10,000, fix up your house, sell it by owner, and then I'll tell you what's next. And when I told her that, she kind of locked up on me. And uh, <laughs> that's reasonable. Uh, my wife is not a risk taker, and big changes like that scare her to death. So, you know, now I'm praying, okay, Lord, how do I get, my wife on board with this and all that kept coming to mind was what the proverb says victory depends on many counselors so i went to everybody everybody i knew family friends my banker my appraiser i mean everybody and everybody said hey this is a solid plan this could work and she still wasn't on board and i had to make the tough call and said babe i I love you, but we got to go ahead with this anyways. I know what God's saying. So the rest of 2018 was just a lot of work. Building Jason's house, remodeling my house. By November, by Thanksgiving, we were done. And that's when kind of the doubt set in. You know, our house is done. It looks brand new. My wife loves it. And I'm thinking, well, you know, I could just refinance this deal. And, you know, we, we'd still be pretty good off. And Jennifer was like... I'm cool with that. And Jason says, you know, I think you could go either way, but you know, God's voice just kept nagging me in the back of my head. No, that's not what I told you to do. So we put it on the market January of 2019. That catches you up to the prayer request. Um, for sale by owner, no takers, no lookers, but a lot of realtors calling me. Hey, we want to list your house. Let's list your house. And so one came pretty highly recommended. I tell Jennifer, hey, and this is where the turn kind of came for her because she got to, she started calling me out on stuff when I'd kind of crawfish a little bit. But I say, hey, let's guy, have this guy over. Let's hear what he has to say. We'll pick his brain, see what he thinks. And she's like, well, no, that's not what you said we were supposed to do. That's not what God told you we were supposed to do. <laughs> and I said, you're right, but, you know, I mean, at least we can see what he says and see if we're doing things right or wrong or what we could do to do better. And he comes over and then he sells both of us, you know, he's selling ice to Eskimos that day. And, um, so for all of February, she and I are going back and forth about, well, do we list it? Do we not? You know, it seems like, you know, we're not getting any bites. Maybe this is the only way and go back and forth, back and forth. So the end towards the end of February, I'm driving home one day. I've got my phone in my hand about to call him up. And I just can't do it. And I get home and Jennifer says, well, did you call the realtor today? I said, no, I couldn't do it. I just, that is not what God told us to do. And I just don't think that's what we're supposed to do. And she just like breathed a sigh of relief. Like, well, good. Cause I've been feeling the same way. So the next week, like that was probably midweek by the next week, we had a couple come look. They were interested, really interested. We get excited. And then we don't hear from them for like a month. And I'm coming back. We're both out of town in different places. I am coming home and call her. Hey, have you heard anything from the realtor? No. 20 minutes later, I get a call from the realtor. Hey, this couple wants to look at your house again. Long story short, by that, that was on a, that was on a Sunday. The next day we had a contract signed, sold the house for more than what we were expecting to sell it for. And 
and started to realize that, you know, 2018 was all us kind of stepping out in faith. In 2019, God was starting to show us, okay, I'm going to show you how I'm going to come through. So at the closing for our house, we realized, you know, we're talking and about the, you know, all the improvements we've made. And, you know, I, hey, yeah, I helped my friend build his house this summer. Oh, really? Who's your friend? Where's his house? I told the realtor. She's like, oh, yeah, I sold him that property. I said, hmm, interesting. So she proceeds to help us in finding a new house. And, you know, through all this, I mean, I just don't have time to tell you all of the things that God did in directing us where we had to be obedient. I mean, from whether we rented a house, which we didn't, but two places we were looking to rent, God said, no, we wound up living at Hotel Tarantino for about a month, <laughs> which it's great, by the way. My mother-in-law is wonderful. She fixed my coffee for me every morning, made my bed for me. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, and all this while, the realtor that sold uh, or that closed our house out is helping us find a new house, you know. And I didn't look at it as coincidence. I'm like, she found Jason his. This whole deal's tied together. Help us find one. We look and look for a solid month, nothing. And then she takes us back to a house that we've already looked at. And, you know, I even made a smart aleck comment to Jennifer. Surprise, surprise. When we pull in the driveway, like, we've already looked at this house. Why are we back here? You know, yeah, it was a great house. The price was too high. We walk in. She's like, I know I've showed you this house before, but they dropped the price. And we were like, okay. And she tells us, and we were like, wow, that's a big drop. They dropped it 30 grand. And she said, y'all just need to make a crazy offer. And I was like, okay. So we go home that night. We're deciding on what to, what to make our offer at. And the next morning I get up, I go back out to Jason's house to help him with some stuff on his house. And we're talking about it. He says, you know, the same thing happened to me. He said, they told me to make a crazy offer. And I get a call back the next morning before we had time to submit our offer and the people dropped the price. And I said, wow, that's pretty neat. And about that time, Jennifer calls me. I can't make this up. She calls me and she says, hey, Rona just called me and um, the people dropped the price again from yesterday to this morning. But there's two other people that are about to make offers. So she said, you know, we need to make our, our best offer we can make. So... I'm like, this can't be coincidence. I mean, this just can't be. So we make our offer, you know, out of the three of us, they accept it. We're moving on further. You know, we're, it was a little bit higher than, you know, our crazy offer, but we were good with it. Well, God turns around and is faithful and, you know, we weren't offering any, you know, for them to pay any closing costs. So they turn around and pay about three grand in closing costs. So it really gets us back to our original, our original offer, which was wild. Um, so we close on that July 1st of this past summer and work, work, work again. And um, man, God has been faithful through that whole process. A lot of y'all, <laughs> Cheryl gave me permission to do this, but Casa de Jordan, at Casa de Jordan on Instagram, you can follow it. There's a ton of pictures before and after. Some of y'all out here have already followed that. But um, I mean, God has just, he's directed every step like we got to a point in, in one of the bathrooms in the house. I'll just tell this one story because I'm running out of time if I haven't already run out. But we had to bust up some concrete to move a shower drain. And, you know, anybody that knows Jason Hinton knows he's like, go, 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 go. And I'm like, hold up, hold up, hold up. And he's like, man, you need to get, we had to go out of town for something. He's like, you got to get that concrete poured back in that hole before you leave. We got to get that shower done. And I was like, man, I don't, I, I just don't, think I'm supposed to do that I'm not I don't know what to tell you but I'm not pouring that concrete before I go out of town and I couldn't explain to him why but he was like okay whatever and we go out of town come back I go in there to start pouring the concrete and the dirt's wet start digging down there's a pipe busted under the concrete had no clue about it before we left dirt was dry everything was good you know I mean things like that where God just he saved us you know it was a little bit of trouble to fix a busted pipe but not near as much trouble as if I'd poured that concrete and it was leaking under there um, we had a situation where we put some tile in and it was all mismatched color and I go to the people that sold it to me and say look can you just give me some more tile and they're like sure and I was like that was not supposed to be that easy 
you know, God just prepared the way. So, you know, we've completed the work now. We're moved in and we just look around all the time and are just amazed. It's surreal. We just can't believe. We just can't believe what God did for us. Set us up in a better financial position moving forward in ways you just can't imagine. But I will say this. This is not just a story about something we gained materially. And I deliberately left this out until now to make this point at the end. God exceeded our wildest expectations on this deal. But the one thing I told Jennifer from the beginning and that we both have come to accept and believe is that this was not just done for our benefit, but so that we can use what God has so graciously given us for his kingdom. And the way he's grown our faith has filled our lives with a new kind of excitement to anticipate and look for the ways God will call us to serve his kingdom and its people. Thank you. Good morning, Family Church. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Allie Taylor, and I've been attending Family Church for 16 years. I've been married to my husband, Josh Taylor, for 13 years. I'm also the daughter-in-law of Pastor Terry and Renee Taylor. When I think of someone's testimony, particularly a really powerful testimony, sadly, more often than not, it involves something bad happening to them. As difficult as it is to experience something devastating, it truly is in those times where we experience God in a way I'm just not sure we can without going through those heart-wrenching times. We feel like God is all we have. Even though we feel he's all we have, we come to know and realize he is enough. When I was 10, I lost my dad in a car accident. And for the longest time, I knew that that would be my testimony. I thought my story would be how God walked our family through that tragedy, how my dad's death led us to Monroe, Louisiana, how it brought me to my husband, strengthened my faith, and that how somehow God always makes beauty from ashes. For me, after my dad passed, I thought I had enough of a testimony, whatever that means. Losing my dad was the hardest thing I had ever experienced until my world was rocked again in 2011. My husband and I had been married for five years. I had just started my PhD program and we were ready to grow our family. I have always loved a good plan and the next plan on the list was to have a baby. I'm that type of person that when my plan for the day, the hour, or let alone my life gets the smallest kink in it, I have to intentionally give myself a pep talk for it not to ruin my attitude. And my life plan was about to be obliterated. Through the process of trying to get pregnant, I found out something else was happening inside of my body and it wasn't a baby. On October 17, 2011, my husband and I were in the middle of building our first home. That afternoon, we were sanding baseboards and filling putty and nail holes in one of the rooms. As we were working in that room, we were envisioning and discussing how this could be our future baby's room. Right as we were having this conversation, I received a phone call from a doctor. This doctor told me that I had breast cancer. I fell to the ground in the corner of the room, completely confused and devastated. This was not in my life plan. We thought the next big call we would be making to family members and friends was that I was pregnant. And now we were having to make all these calls to say I had breast cancer. As I sat on my knees in that empty room with sandpaper still in my hand, I just placed my hands over my chest and begged God to heal me. My physical posture of being forced to my knees after receiving a devastating phone call was the posture I knew I had to remain in on the rest of this journey, and it was just one of surrender. It was and, all, and always is about surrender. We immediately were referred to MD, Can MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas, where I immediately became the popular patient there. This was not because of my personality or my social status. I was the popular girl because of the aggression of my cancer and my age. You never want to be popular in a cancer hospital. I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer as we learned that the cancer had spread from its initial tumor site. The doctors wanted to discuss treatment options, but they had one important question to ask me before we even began discussing, discussing treatment. My oncologist said, Allie, do you wanna be a mom one day? 
We explained to her that attempting pregnancy was actually the way we found out I had cancer. She said that the type of treatment they were wanting to prescribe would have a high likelihood of damaging my fertility. She would recommend doing some fertility preservation before treatment since I did want to be a mom one day. She said she would give us about an hour to discuss with our family and she would call us back in her office. As we walked out of the doctor's office, we discussed everything with my mom and Josh's parents. We held hands together in that waiting room, prayed, and decided to move forward with fertility preservation. We barely got the words amen out of our mouths before my name was called back again. It wasn't the hour that she had promised, but more like five or ten minutes. As we went back in her office, her expression was somber. She apologized she was having to deliver bad news yet again, but she had just received another test back on a biopsy they had taken of the cancer on one of my lymph nodes. She basically explained that on a scale of 1 to 10 on the aggression of cancer, mine ranked at a 98. She expressed we had no time to preserve my fertility like she had said just minutes ago and that we needed to start treatment immediately. When we asked what immediately meant, she said yesterday. Josh and I just sat there and wept. It felt like every plan I had was falling apart. Not only were we being told our chances of having children were out of the window, but my life was majorly at stake. All we could do was surrender and trust. A scripture had been spoken over us at a special prayer and encouragement night that was given by so many of you in this sanctuary before we headed to MD Anderson. That scripture was Psalm 128, and it says, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your home. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. This is the blessing for those who fear the Lord. This was a scripture Josh held tight to, that his wife would be alive and fruitful, and that one day we would have children around our table. We prayed that scripture over my body, my life, and our future children's lives. We knew that I had to be here to ever have a chance of having children. So I started cancer treatment on October 28, 2011. I underwent 16 rounds of chemotherapy, a double mastectomy, 30 rounds of radiation treatments, and several reconstructive surgeries. Even after my treatments, it still appeared by ultrasound that I had cancer in my lymph nodes, but they couldn't be sure until everything was removed and tested. Before the surgery, to check all of that, doctors warned me that the chances of me being cancer-free was less than 20%. We chose to not listen to statistics, but put our hope in God's word. From that surgery to finding out the results was a full week, and so many of you in this room prayed and fasted for me that week and believed with us with a relentless belief that I was healed and whole. It is really hard to believe when common sense and doctors might tell you otherwise. As we walked in the doctor's office on April 30th, 2012, my oncologist walked in with another doctor. From previous experience, any time more than one doctor came into the doctor's room, it was typically bad news. As they walked in, they were overjoyed and in disbelief. I was cancer-free. My oncologist brought in the pharmacist who prescribed my treatment plan as she wanted to show him what a true success story was. It wasn't just a success story. It was God's healing power manifested in me. We cried, we danced, and we praised in there, and I'm sure they thought we were crazy. We kind of are, but we didn't care what I looked like or what I sounded like. I was cancer-free, I was healed and whole, and it was finally made evident. We had to wait two years to even attempt pregnancy, but my doctors all greeted the subject with the type of smile that said, oh, that sweet girl is so naive. Does she know what treatment her body underwent? After trying to get pregnant after the doctor's approval, we consulted a fertility doctor who told me that all of my eggs had been damaged through, through cancer treatments. Once again, another huge part of my life plan was completely destroyed. I was so confused and felt like huge no's were around every corner. I've continued to learn that every no I have ever received always leads to a better yes. If everything would have happened in my life the way I had envisioned it happening and how I had planned, it would have fallen so short of what God had planned for our family. I am now almost eight years cancer-free, and we now have three daughters through the miracle of adoption and a miracle pregnancy. I thought God was done with my testimony after walking me through my dad's death. He wasn't done after he healed me after he healed me of cancer. He wasn't done after he gave us our first baby or our second baby or our third. God's goodness just never stops. Our testimony never stops. He's never done enough. He isn't the God of just enough. Or if he's maybe done one big thing in your life, that's not it. He wants to do more. He is the God of miracles who can do abundantly above anything we can ever ask or imagine. 
My girls are the olive shoots around my table. I'm a fruitful vine and wife to Josh. My plan has been destroyed in seemingly every possible way, and I'm so glad it has. If you find yourself in a place this morning where everything you have had planned has been destroyed, I encourage you to surrender, obey, and trust as you watch his plans, not yours, unfold. And then, like me, give testimony of what God has done when you surrender. I will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of my testimony, Revelation 12, 11. I pray this morning that those testimonies are a help to you as you write or have already written on your prayer request sheet. We're doing a little thing, something a little bit different this year in that one side of your request is about your spiritual, resolving spiritually to move closer to God. Uh, there are several things on this page. I spoke about this back in December and the first is about reading the Bible in the year. Uh, it gives a place to mark if you're going to read the Bible in the year with or without commentary. If that is going to be one of your uh, things, you're going to pray for God to help you achieve this year. And then I ask you to consider for the past month these different areas, not to overwhelm yourself with writing something in every one, but whether it was that you were going to try to fast uh, one lunch a month for the next 12 months. You've never fasted. You get to the end of the year and you fasted 12 lunches. And given that during that time, you prayed, you focused on God, you listened to God. Uh, we all understand that it could advance you in your walk with Jesus Christ. The next was walking in the spirit. What I would say if you wrote something there is don't just say, I want to walk in the spirit, but if there's a particular area or situation of your life that in 2019, 2018 has given you particular struggle that you put in this place, I want to walk in the spirit and not do what my flesh wants to do. And I'm not going to go through each one of these, but taking every thought captive, praying, you know, you guys, if you don't have a prayer life, if you don't have a power, you have to start somewhere. Uh, if you started with Matthew 6, 9 through 13, the Lord's Prayer, and you wrote it down, put it somewhere, and just in the morning, you got up and prayed slowly, deliberately, the Lord's Prayer for the next year. What progress that would be in, in beginning a prayer life, beginning to communicate with God and to seek fellowship. We'll give you some opportunities for that in the coming uh, weeks, but you know, if you read the New Testament, you guys, the people of God got together. They talked about God. They talked about relationship. They, they grew together. They, they didn't just come in on a Sunday for an hour, hour and a half, and go out, and that'd be it. Honoring the Sabbath. What does that mean for you? What is God calling you to in honoring the 52 days in 2020 that are set aside for Him? And then care for the poor. So we pray that on that side of the piece of paper, if you're, as we give you a couple of minutes, maybe you write yes or no about the Bible, and then you pick one other area, you circle it and put one simple statement there maybe about what you're going to ask God to help you do. And then on the other side, it says personal work and family. And on the part, just to help you, if this is new to you, we have some prompts on the personal side where you might put something like, I need physical healing. Uh, I want to connect with people at church. That might be about fellowship. I need freedom from a sin habit. This is about you personally. Then you can move to work or school. Uh, there's a coworker that I want to invite to church in the upcoming year. I need direction about my job. These are just ideas to help you know what you might put in each section. And then family. I need wisdom to handle some family conflict. Uh, my aunt needs a physical healing. So we're going to give you a couple of minutes now, if you have not filled out your prayer sheet, to uh, 
and, and don't feel like you have to write 100 things or 25 things, but it will rotate through these prompts as you're going if you need to be reminded of maybe some areas that you would write there. So we're going to give you two to three minutes to finish your prayer sheet right now. Oh God, we love you today, God, and we thank you for the confidence that every person has that is written on these requests. God, I thank you that we believe that you care and that you will intervene and that you will touch, God, that you will show us the areas of our life where we need to bring them in alignment and you desire to take over and be in control. God, as we pray for specific requests in our lives for health and family and friends and work and school, God, will we understand that you're using all of those situations to make us more like you, to refine us into your image, to be the truly be the people of God. Lord, I pray this year as we seek to know you more, as we seek to know who you are, God, and to serve you and to love you and to follow you and to be transformed into your image, God, that you will touch each one of us, God, that you will supernaturally do what only you can do. God, help us to pursue you. God, help us to be disciples of Jesus Christ, followers of Christ. God, I love you today, and I pray that every specific request for healing, for financial needs, for emotional needs, for relational needs, God, that you would direct and guide and reveal yourself to us as to the steps we should take or the things we should do, God. And I pray that if you do not come in the next year, Lord, as we stand here a year from now, that our lives will be more aligned with you and your word and who you are and who you made us to be than ever before. We ask these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Family Church Podcast. You can stay connected with us at familychurch.org or by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our mission at Family Church is to pursue God, make disciples, and strengthen...